The choice facing the country is between securing recovery or wrecking it, between investment to build a fair society where all prosper and a divided society that favours the wealthy few. It is a choice between ambition driven by the values of fairness and opportunity and austerity driven by an outdated dogma. And I commend this statement to the House. Back catch the wear, the axeman cometh. But will Alistair Darling's banker bashing provide enough seasonal cheer to mask tax rises and big cuts to public services? We'll hear from the City of London where traders are revolting and be it bingo, boilers or bonuses will round up all of today's winners and losers. I'm Edith Chakraborty and this is a special podcast on the pre-budget report from The Guardian. Joining me this week are The Guardian's economics editor Larry Elliott, political economist Martin Kettle and our banking expert Jill Trainer. Hello to you all. Quick answers first. What was your main theme of today? Jill, let's start with you. Well, obviously, writing about banks, I'm spending a lot of time trying to work out exactly how this 50% tax on bonuses above 25 grand is going to work and full of questions and trying to get answers. Martin? I think the big question is whether the... uh the taxes on um, bankers and th- those sorts of dividing lines, which we heard in the speech, uh, will really uh, restore Labour momentum politically uh, against the Tories. Professor Elliott? Uh, a wolf in sheep's clothing, I think. It says it will do various things, in- embed the recovery, <coughs> make Britain a fairer place, lay the foundations for a sustainable recovery. I don't think it does any of those things. And I think actually the pain in the city is dwarfed by the pain out there in um, middle England and on low paid workers through the public spending, effectively public spending cuts. So I think that uh, it looks good uh, for, for, for headlines for, for a minute, but actually over the course of the next few months, I think it may un- unwind this package. Ever since the banking bailout and the recession that followed, we've been hearing about how we're going to have to pay a huge bill for all of this. Is this a pre-budget report where we saw how much the bill might cost? No, it's a down payment on the bill. Uh, we were going to see far bigger bill after the election, I think. This is, this is to me, a plane in a holding pattern over Heathrow, um, and that's why the markets have not sold off. <clears throat> they know that there's worse to come, that the deficit reduction package has been started, but it hasn't finished yet, and that will come after the election, and everybody knows that, I think. Martin, let's come back to your point. Darling called this pre-budget report kind of fight between two competing, competing visions. visions. And this pre-budget report is about building a fairer society and securing opportunity for Do you for think all. he's right? Uh, I think he's broadly uh, right, because I think that uh, although... You know, Larry's obviously correct that uh, there are major pen- public spending cuts. I mean, what the Tories have said, insofar as we really know what they uh, would do, um, is uh, something much faster and possibly bigger. And I think there you're into, you know, moves that cannot possibly uh, not hurt in a very serious way and be be really quite bad headlines and really switch the terms of the political debate. I think it's important to say that this is a pre-budget, uh, 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 a, a pre-election report, uh, but it's not necessarily the pre-election uh, report, pre-election budget, because we do have uh, a budget, budget. Ne- next spring. So unless there's an early election, and I don't rule that out on the basis of uh, this uh, statement, um, Darling is going to get the chance to come along and maybe hand out a few sweeteners. Well, the Treasury's been briefing on bonuses all week, so let's hear what the Chancellor actually announced. There are some banks who still believe that our priority is to pay substantial bonuses to some already high-paid staff. Their priority should be to rebuild their financial strength and to increase their lending. 
So I'm giving them a choice. They can use their profits to build up their capital base, but if they insist on paying substantial rewards, I'm determined to claw money back for the taxpayer. So I've decided to introduce from today a special one-off levy of 50% on any individual discretionary bonus above £25,000. So, Alistair Darling's an unpopular man in the City of London. And to see just how hopping mad the people in pinstripes really are, Guardian Daily's John Dennis went to find out. I'm outside the Royal Exchange in the heart of the City of London, Britain's money-making engine. Uh, there's more bankers than you can shake a stick at around here. We've got the Bank of England just over on my right. Uh, we've got the number one poultry just ahead. Um, so there's bankers everywhere. Let's find out what they think of Alistair Darling's pre-budget report. Yeah, I'm certainly up for the fact that I think that people probably earning 25 grand on a bonus probably could probably afford to lose a bit of it. What, what do people around here think? Do you think your views will be typical? Um, in this part of London, probably not. Yeah, I think it needs to put this into perspective. Um, the number of uh, the, the, the monies that people in that environment earn for us as a, as, a, as a country, as a city, that bring a lot of goods, has been put out of all perspective. Um, so I think that targeting people like that is more of a headline grabber than actually bringing good. I think they deserve their bonus, but the tax is a bit too much. Yeah, so you don't think they should be taxed? I think they should be taxed, but maybe not as much as 50%. I think the percentage is too much. Yeah, all the money's going to help young unemployed though, so that's good, isn't it? Yeah, I suppose that is good, but the only thing that's going to happen is they'll just be given a bigger bonus to compensate, so I don't know if it's really helping anything. I think conceptually it probably it works, but I think in the, in the real life it's not because I think uh, uh, without a bonus culture then I think it drives performance down, so I can see why he's doing it, but I'm not sure it all joins up end to end, I'm afraid. To be fair, if I worked in banking, I'd be absolutely mortified by it. I mean, that's the whole reason why they get into it, really, is to do, from what I gather, they don't get great wages or not amazing wages compared to the rest of the industries down here, and it's only the bonuses that kind of separate them from the rest of us. So you think people deserve uh, bonuses in general of that sort of level? I think, well, depending on the amount of work that they're putting in, but yeah, I mean, it, it, yeah, the bonuses will be a reflection on what they've actually made the bank over the past 12 months, and you're going to need these people to get the banks back to standalone strength and carry on and get to back where they were uh, and get the economy back on its legs. So yeah, if they're, if they're contributing enough and the actual the individuals are actually making those actual funds or whatever, then they should be rewarded accordingly in order to keep the talent within those banks that need them. John Dennis reporting there. Jill, the bonus tax may change bank behaviour. What do you think? Look, it's a one-off thing. So do one-offs change behaviour? I'm not a psychologist or whatever. But I mean, clearly what we've been talking about in the office this afternoon and the people we're talking to are talking about the fact, are we going to see great big salary rises in the city so that you can somehow circumvent anything that is discretionary, i.e. a discretionary bonus. It's clear that the Treasury intend to try and take a hard line on any whacking great big salary rise and will want proof that this is a permanent salary rise and not a one-off perk for the 2009 financial year. The reality is that banks are extremely clever and always seem to find ways to get around all these things. One of the most interesting things today is that the Treasury is saying that they're only going to get £550 million of revenue in from this, which is a hard number to get your mind around, given that, for instance, it's hard to get projections about what bonus pools are. But the CEBR, one of the think tanks, tries to do it every year. And this year have said six billion. Now, my maths would suggest that half of six billion is three billion. So it's hard to imagine what the Treasury knows that we don't. It's clear that the Treasury are factoring in some huge behavioural change in the city. 
and that they are anticipating that people will now automatically reduce their bonus pools. That can be the only thing you can conclude from that number. And I, I, pre- I presume there are lots and lots of ways that tax experts have already dreamt up of circumventing Well, al- al- already today, people are talking about the fact that, well, all you do is you delay bonus payments Past until the April. year after. Yeah. I mean, the Treasury also trying to make it very clear tonight, that, that, you know, this afternoon, that actually anybody who gives any indication to their employees, don't worry, boys, you'll be all right in 2010, are going to get in pretty bad trouble and that there'll be some sort of retrospective action. Um HMRC, Revenues and Customs, have put out a a notice talking about the anti-avoidance measures that they're looking out for, i.e. don't try paying uh, in anything other than cash, don't try lending staff money, which is a traditional city wheeze that you lend people the money instead of pay it them. They'll regard that as as a bonus as well. One thing that it's clear from reading the documentation that's been put out today, HMRC have helpfully put out 33 pages or something on on this, is that if you've got anything that is contractually entitled to you, so if you've got a bonus that is guaranteed, your employer is exempt from this tax. And I think that that must also mean that, say you're a proprietary trader at a big bank and your contract says you are automatically entitled to 50% of your bonus, of your income, or profit each year in your bonus, I think you must also be exempt as well. Maybe that's how we're starting to get so down on, to 550 million. So I, I, I'm, the, the tri- I'm working tri- this tri- out. Tri- Alice Darling's talked a lot about the guaranteed bonus culture and how hostile he is to it. And what you're saying is actually people who've got guaranteed bonuses are going to be all right under this bit of... The thing we have to remember is that if you have a contract, it's a contract. And that even the legislation that the government is intending to bring through the Financial Services Bill in, during this parliament can only void new contracts, not old contracts. I mean, contract law stands. It's a, it's a short-term expedient, though, isn't yeah. it? Because it, it, by the time we realise whether he's got this money or not, or whether there's been a big behavioural change, or whether or whether people have escaped it, the, the big political dangerous moment for Labour will be over. I don't think yeah. I don't think he could effectively go into this pre-election period with a big squeeze on public sector pay, with a lot of people out there in, 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 in Britain taking pay cuts or pay freezes and allowing bankers to be walking away with big political with big packages that's just yeah. utterly yeah, that's right I mean yeah. there are two I think there are two reasons why he's done this I mean one is because it's popular um, and you know the government does want to do something that's popular second is exactly as Larry's saying it, it establishes the right to be heard on everything else and to be taken seriously uh, on everything else without it I think you, you couldn't you couldn't sell this or any other package and do you think the policy of soaking the rich do you think that really plays that well outside square mile I think uh, I think it's quite important. I think it's important for being heard. I think uh, you know there is a head of steam on this. I, I, I think the, the the political art is, uh, is 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 how far you take it. If you if you allow that to be caricatured as just a atavistic, uh, squeezing vin- the rich, vin- vindic- the vindictive class warfare, all, all all of that stuff. However unpopular the bankers are, I think it raises a lot of questions that Labour has no wish to raise. So you know it, it's. Uh, it's one step forward, one step back. I think in 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 uh, it was quite Leninist it was quite language. skillfully done. I thought in that he uh, some of the some of the bits of bits and pieces of the people were quite well done, of, of which this was one to actually link the amount of money you're getting from the city, whether it's five hundred million or more, to a jobs package for youth unemployment and for old old people's employment measures. That was that was smart, as was the stuff on inheritance tax. So it was quite it was quite cunning, politically. Quite cunning politically. Now, the job of replying to the Chancellor fell to George Osborne. Let's hear what his lines of attack were. 
The Chancellor had three tasks today. First, to restore confidence in the Treasury forecasts. Second, to at last produce, we hoped, a credible plan to deal with Britain's record debts. And finally, to show the world that Britain is open for business again and can create jobs. He failed, Mr Speaker, on all three accounts. Martin, there's at least a fighting chance that Osborne's going to be our next Chancellor. How well did he do today, you think? Well, I think, as he has to, he wrote his speech before he heard what Darling had to say. Uh, Downing Street, 10 and 11 Downing Street, are, are both chortling at the moment because they think that uh, they wrong-footed Osborne into, in, into attacking a speech that uh, Darling uh, didn't give and that, in fact, they're being more, that the speech was actually cleverer and uh, more balanced uh, and, and also uh, had anticipated some of the things that uh, Osborne was likely to say. Um, I don't know how much that really, uh, how much ice that cuts uh, outside uh, the Westminster bubble. Probably not very much. I think you know, Osborne has got his lines of attack against the government. The government owns the owns the economy, owns the financial crisis, uh, owns the banking crisis, and nothing that happens between now and the election is going to change that. On the other hand. Um, the the Conservatives' position is still to to go faster and to go deeper, and going faster and deeper does bring you into some pretty heavy duty political territory. Downing Street at the moment is has just been saying that if the Tories try and half the deficit one year faster, it will cost them twenty six billion pounds, which is equivalent to putting VAT up to twenty three percent. Now, I mean. Whether that is true or not, one would have to go and work, go away and work out. However. You know, if it's even half true, uh, it's uh, it's a, it's a pretty big number, and uh, these are you know. So so I think Osborne, like the Tories generally, uh, is is more questions being asked about Osborne and about the Tories generally now than were being asked even a couple of weeks ago. So I think it's in some ways a more difficult day for Osborne than he must have uh, expected when he was looking forward to this at the time of the party conference season, for instance. Jill, uh, we had two papers, The Times and Telegraph, both had front pages this week talking about the possibility of a debt downgrade on on the UK. Um, Do you think that's really that likely or was that just papers being mischievous? Oh, well, it's clearly something the city thinks about. But you can see, uh, I mean, the the market reaction today has been quite calm. So I think it's partly this argument that Larry's making that we know we're waiting for for the future. But clearly today, just think about this week, we've had warnings about the state of the Greek economy. Today, everybody's worried about the Spanish economy. Um, you know, it's it's hard to imagine. I mean, Dubai, for goodness sake, is, you know, is in trouble. So I'm afraid these concerns are going to linger for some time. Larry's probably now going to start fuming and say I'm totally wrong. No, but no, no, um, no, I, it's clearly no, what no, the market's I mean, worried about. No, the market is worried. But I think the market would worry even more if we had Osborne in with his swinging spending cuts, driving the economy even deeper into recession. I think what would really freak the markets out would be if the budget deficit next year was going to be 15% of GDP because we had another 3% or 4% off the economy next year. That really would be all the ingredients for a debt downgrade. I think provided, the, provided whichever government, Labour or Conservative, can have some credible long-term plan for getting the deficit down the markets won't downgrade britain britain is a is a major g7 country you know sixth seventh biggest economy in the world it's got quite a lot of um, strength economic strengths and a lot of weaknesses obviously but the the the, the ratings agencies don't treat britain like greece or like latvia we are a slightly different kettle of fish and i think that some of the stuff about downgrades you know there is a real issue with the size of our deficit but the best way to get the deficit down is to get the economy back and have have some growth and and osborne osborne has really painted himself into a bit of a corner by saying that they would go 
deeper, more quickly on spending than Labour. There's just one thing in all this as well, is I think the markets, at least up until today, have had quite a lot of faith in Darling and have given him a lot of the benefit of the doubt. The bank bailout, like it or not, was actually welcomed by the markets. It's funny that in many ways, that's helped him with his attempt to have to sell all these government bonds because they've believed his policy. Now, of course, he slapped them with this tax. He's, you know, there's, there's no doubt a bit of annoyance out there about him. Osborne, of course, is unproven. And so that is where the difficulty lies for the coming years, is that how is Osborne going to deal with this problem? And that's what nobody knows. All right, Larry, let me come back to you on the dividing lines question. When it comes to deficit reduction, Martin's surely right that there is a kind of dividing line between Tories and Labour about how quickly they'd set about tackling deficit. But when it comes to the measures that you actually use, I mean, what I saw from this chancellor was a rise in national insurance contributions, which hits people of all income groups. I intend to increase all employer, employee and self-employed rates of national insurance by a further half pence from April 2011. Over 20,000, that hits, that hits people yeah. on, the, on the average wage and uh, a socking great uh, axe falling on the public sector. I yeah. mean, I don't really see that as being that different from what a Tory chancellor would do. Or, or, or am I wrong? It's, it's slightly different in that there has been some protection built in there for people on lowest income. There was things for school meals and, and things on benefits for people at the very bottom. I think the political danger for Labour is that this is a bit of a John Smith budget in 1992 where Labour did take money away from people at the top, about £4 billion from memory, and redistributed it through, or wanted to, through child benefit and increased pensions and forgot there was a big chunk of the floating voting population in the middle who went straight off and voted Tory and voted for John Major. And I think there is a real political danger here that I, I mean the, the reaction from the unions has been very hostile and in many ways more politically damaging for Labour than the hostile reaction from the city and the slow burn issue is how this plays out there in the marginal seats of, of middle England where Labour is clinging onto a lot of those by its fingertips and I think that that's where the Tories will will, will push this very hard over the coming months you know we have we you you aspiring people in middle Britain are going to feel the pain from this in future years. Yeah, I mean, there's a huge difference, isn't there, though, between the the political and, above all, the economic situation in 1992, bad as it was in 92, and what it is yeah, now. Yeah. I, th- I think we're in a in a different arena now, and so it may be, only may be, that the that those concerns about uh, the, the sort of middle of the road, middle class, middle Britain voters uh, lurching off to the right uh, because of fear of the unions and fear of punitive tax rates um, will suddenly take off. I mean, the bankers are phenomenally unpopular. Um, and and I think as, as long as Labour is able to be listened to yeah. in this conversation because of uh, being seen to take action on that, you know, there is still going to be a, you know, there's, a, there's a still a... Fight to be had. A battle to be yeah. heard, yeah. yeah. I mean, the outcome can't be predicted quite as easily as we might suppose. OK, that brings us to final thoughts. Martin, let's start with you. Uh, how does this change the political battle? I think it probably slightly strengthens Labour in the battle against the Conservatives, but the Tories are between 8 and 12 points ahead in most of the current polls, and that's a long way uh, to be ahead. And at this stage, at the end of five-year parliaments, by and large, people have made up their minds about which way things they're going to vote. So, uh, you know, I think it's not a a game-changer. Larry, how far does this change what we used to think of as being new Labour economic policy? Do you see this as a lurch to the left? 
No, I don't see this particularly as a lurch to the left. I think it's just a really a continuation of the macroeconomic policies we've seen for the last 18 months, which is that you support the economy when it's weak and then you claw back um, the money when the economy grows again. So I think they've they reverted to a more classical sort of Keynesian approach about 18 months ago and have continued with that. And, you know, in terms of the, you know, the economics of it, you know, an awful lot is riding on the fact that the economy gets up to 3.5% growth in 2011-12. And I think that is incredibly goey for an economy as dependent on financial services and the housing market as Britain is. I mean, I just don't see that happening. It's, it's Keynes light, though, isn't it, Larry? It's Keynes light. Yeah, well, it is Keynes light. And it's also sort of low carbon light, because some of the measures on low carbon are, are really kind of scratching around the surface of the problem rather than getting deep down it, it's not it's not proper it's not you know if this was a proper Keynesian government they would have actually eased policy by 10 or 15 billion pounds here and really got the deficit and really got the economy going in 2010 but they're kind of worried by what Jill says about the, the, the financial markets and they're probably you know probably right not to listen to me and, and, and to be a bit, a bit cautious but had, had I been had I been chance to sit in there with Keynes as my advisor I would have said be a bit bolder and gone for gone for a bit more growth and got the economy on, on its feet sooner than they, they, they plan to. That'd be a film I'd pay to watch, Larry. Jill, how long <laughs> does the uh, bad feeling between the city and Labour carry on for, do you think? Or will this all be forgotten by Christmas? No, I don't think it will be forgotten. And I think particularly if you think about how bonuses are allocated and when people find out about them, it's normally a week or so after Christmas. You can imagine if you're a banker who might have been thinking about how to what to buy for Christmas or are the kids going to stay in private school next year? You know, you might just feel a little bit wound up. And if you... I, I suspect this could last for some time. My thanks to the panel, Larry Elliott, Jill Trainer, and Martin Kettle. Today's programme was produced by Phil Maynard. I'm Adit Chakraborty. The Business Podcast back at a normal time next Wednesday. Guardian Daily with John Dennis returns on Friday. 